previously. On the Gilded Age, George used his business acumen to get Bertha into society by way of the Fane family. And they all kind of dabbled with the Red Cross and Clara Barton. And Peggy, she might get published by a guy named T. Thomas Fortune, who is very much real, apparently. Also, with Peggy, she went to visit her family for her mother's birthday, and Marion showed up in a real awkward scene, and then Peggy cut her down verbally like she has never been cut down before. And that was kind of the big punch of the episode. So, let's see where all of this continues as we hit the halfway mark of the first season of The Gilded Age, here on the Lord of Grantham Podcast. Off when you come crash into me and we're back again is this the halfway mark of the the gilded age yeah uh there are 10 episodes for this season dave and we have just passed uh, episode five that's true well here we are actually in the dream i i see only nine episodes listed so we're actually more than halfway perhaps oh goodness uh, maybe this is an error of imdb but they only list uh, through march 21st that's interesting. Okay. Well, either way. I mean, you see this week, Dave, where we're handed another 46-minute episode where, was it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the HBO runtime's at 55, and I was like, okay, that's even a little lean for Julian. And then it was 46 with the but with the, the hubbub at the end. I was, I was elated. Yeah. So, I mean, first episode, hour 20. Second episode, 45 minutes. Third and fourth episode, 55 this week, 46. Do you think there's just some weeks, Dave, where Julian is writing the script and he just nods off and then he just hands it in? Potentially. <laughs> that could be the case. He's an old man. <laughs> Who knows? Um, we did get a note, though, on, on Twitter, you know, informing us to really, you know, give another listen to that Gilded Age podcast because mm-hmm. uh, they really do shine a light on, on the history of, of things. Yeah, let me pull that up. I don't know if you have it yeah. in front of you, but... I do not. I, I will pull it right up because it... It uh, was a very poignant point made by a doctor, I believe. Doctor, I'm, I'm going to try not to butcher this name, Dr. Takia Nur-Amin, uh, mm-hmm. said that we're missing a ton with Peggy's story. And Fortune was a real person, adding that at the end. Um, friend of the podcast, our, our zoological expert and aquatics expert, Mr. Alec, was hiking with me, and he, he said he thought it was funny that we fumbled that so poorly. <laughs> So I mean, the the name Fortune is just like (laughs) Julian must have clicked his heels when he saw that was a real person. That's such a a perfect name to play such a heavy role in the show. Dave, I don't know about you. I didn't realize how much Julian was going to rely on intersecting with actual historical figures in in the show. I mean, Mm -hmm. we got uh, Clara Barton there for the the Red Cross and such. And Uh, Aster is real. Yeah. But, I mean, just coming from Downton, where we always heard about figures uh, in the background not playing an actual role, it, it's uh, actually kind of surprising to see that all these people are, a lot of these people are actually real, and they're, mm-hmm. and they're playing actual roles in the show. And it makes me rethink what we're watching. Like, this feels like, a, is this edutainment that we're watching? Is this is like... the crown? <laughs> no, no. It's funny, because I was thinking about that this morning, how, you know, when I talk to people about the crown... They just take it for face value that everything that happened on the show actually happened. And I have to tell them, mm-hmm. no, Prince Phil was never obsessed with the Apollo missions. He didn't actually care about that. That wasn't a thing at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whereas I feel like the crown is always trying to color outside the lines to really bring in the drama. 
it's interesting to see Julian trying to maybe color inside the lines a little bit to really, you know, bring it on home uh, to something a little bit more real. Mm-hmm. And did you get a chance to listen to that uh, official podcast on last week's episode? I didn't have a chance to listen to last week's. I was listening to this week's, actually, just to be a little bit ready for this week. The one last week was fascinating. I really didn't know much about um, the black elite, and that seems it was the subject matter. Because mm-hmm. I guess there's a uh, one of the EPs and former, I don't know, I guess, not formal, former. She's This woman who they interviewed is both an executive producer and a historical consultant who is a who specializes in in black women in the in the gilded age so mm-hmm. the gilded era and it's fascinating very interesting listen that is if you're if you're more into the actual historical accuracy of the time i will say the hbo official gilded age podcast is very good and and it's like an hour it's 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 like half an episode breakdown and half an interview so it's so, so they, smooth. they they actually give you like the background on on fortune and who he was and not an in-depth thing about fortune okay. but they do refer to the fact that fortune is real <laughs> real in, in quotation marks for the show because <clears throat> if you look up a, f- a photo of fortune he's a, he's a skinny man uh, on the show though he he is a hunk this guy <laughs> Straight up, <laughs> he looks like he walked off the set of a soap opera out of a Zane novel. This guy is jacked up <laughs> and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, a little bit of creative license there, but we welcome it. Um, yeah, and any any other news? I mean, there's a couple little things. No, it just it's funny though. I keep thinking of uh, Dave. You remember the show Young Indiana Jones, where they just had Indiana mm-hmm. Jones meeting up with historical figures every episode to kind of inform people about the times. That's that's what it reminds me of here. Where it's just like, well, this week Indiana Jones meets Henry Ford or Al Capone or <laughs> Vlad the Impaler. Who are we going to meet next on the Gilded Age? Yeah, well, speaking of new uh, news, okay, have you listened to the new single by Michael and Michelle? Uh, uh, no, Dave, uh, illuminate that for me. Tell me more. Who who are Michael and Michelle? Well, Michelle is Michelle Dockery. And oh, Michael- Slade Mary. From Down Michael Abbey. is the guy. Is he Andy? Yeah, Andy the Butler from Down Abbey. Andy the Butler, and they are making music. <laughs> what kind of music? Actual consumable like, music. It sounds like Once music from the movie Once. Okay, so so like some sort of, folksy kind of singer songwriter type of songs together. Yeah, male female harmonies. It's, I I listened Civil to the, the single stuff. is called Calming Storm. Okay, it's it's good. It's not the it it won't go in the rotation for me. And they're not but dating, I will right? Listen, Excuse me. They're not dating because he's dating she, Edith in real life, right? Isn't he married to Larry, Laura Laura Carmichael? I think so. Yeah, I think they're real. So Mary's edging in on Edith yet again, but in real life. Um, oh yeah. So is it worth listening to, Dave? Yeah, I think it's worth listening to. Okay. Check it's it out. It's a it's a cute little song. It's it's inoffensive, and I think if that's your style, it's oh okay. It's like <laughs> coffee house music. If you like stuff that doesn't leave an impression on you, this is right up your alley. But I think if you like this genre, that might leave an impression on you. Okay. And Good. she's a great singer. I had no idea. Both of them are great singers. Where were they, they on the Christmas on the, album? Yeah, exactly. Where were they on the Down Christmas album? Meanwhile, we uh, had uh, Avenden doing all the heavy lifting there. Yeah, the pig man. Well, on that note, let's get to the Gilded Age Season 1, uh, Episode 5, Charity Has Two Functions. Mm-hmm. I feel now, like this was a breeze. Yeah, I don't, I don't think all that much went down in this episode. No, a, a lot of light lifting, and like again, there's certain plot lines that are just dropped week to week. <laughs> so last week we had Watson creeping on some elite-looking women, 
This week, that isn't referenced at all. <laughs> uh, hopefully, Instead, hope this week we got Miss Armstrong. Yeah. Uh, so, and she's from the other house. So she's mm-hmm. from the Van Ryan house. Um, and really, it's just a one-note beat of, well, I mean, and this comes from the Gilded Age podcast, I haven't listened to that one, that her mother lives in a tenement building. You know, mm-hmm. where a lot of immigrants uh, who couldn't afford much more, you know, they, they stayed when they first moved to America. So we get a, a lens into that, of that kind of life of just struggling to get along. Um, but we see that, yeah, they're, they're not too rich there. She brings her some scraps and food from, from where she works. Her mother doesn't seem to approve of her. It doesn't seem to be too happy. I think there's a little bit of a senility going on. She's slipping yep. mentally. Yep. She threw uh, some apple pie that she brought for, for her on the floor. Um, she didn't like the cooking. Did not like the cooking. But I think that's and about it Armstrong is Ms. keeping Armstrong. this hidden. What's up? She's keeping it hidden from the rest of the staff. Shocking. I mean, who really wants to tell other people about their, their living now, situation? Does, does this seem a little bit similar to Mrs. Hughes having a disabled sister that she's funneling her money towards? <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. A little more fleshed out. Put it on the, the Julian Fellows bingo card. But, but Downstairs staff with secret family I mean, members. Yeah, but I say this week after week, I feel like Julian is trying to color in a little bit of character to each of these downstairs characters. Same time, it, it's very basic background on, on identifying who they are. <laughs> you know, Miss Bauer, uh, she likes to uh, gamble. Or not, yeah, she likes to gamble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, in the other house... Uh, Miss Bruce likes to, to help people out. You know, she's a nice person. It's just like little things where we see more and more of the, the them every week. You know, Bridget, she was abused. I hope it all leads to something a little bit more. I mean, it, it, I'm not saying it's not interesting, but I just don't understand what it's leading to. It's like, okay, Miss Armstrong has it tough. Not shocking to me. It's just a very varying late wavelength of how tough does she have it, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, this is a... This is- Perhaps a little bit of a, not morbid, but a bleak thing to say, but it took mm-hmm. so long for this season of this show to come together to do okay. so much table setting for so many tertiary characters. If this show is on for six years or six seasons, this could be like the next 10 years. So we could get dig a little bit deeper, you're saying? No, I'm saying that's scary. Well, yes, but also that's terrifying. That the show will for, keep going on like this? That, well, for you and me, that we're going to be old men. We're going to be in gray hair if we have whatever hair is left We're going to be us. old. Julian is 72 currently. If this show goes for another 10 years, he'll be 82. He's going to be like Biden up there. <laughs> yeah. These characters maybe. are going to be stuttering, all this, <laughs> repeating words, not knowing what to say. I hope not. Um, I, whatever. No, no, no slander on, on the elderly. They're, they're doing the best they can. Uh, much love to you. Um, I mean, he is at a very prolific phase in his career between Belgravia, Gilded Age, English Game a couple years ago, the Downton movies. He he's not stopping. No, he is ringing the cash register for all it's worth. Uh, is there other low hanging fruit in this episode really to tackle? I feel like it all kind of. I think Oscar. Around. Oh yeah, <laughs> classic classic trope. This is the second time this week we're at the corner of the Russell's house. Uh, one of the servants is leaving, and they spot something. <laughs> so last week it was a dog. This week, Miss Turner spots Oscar. Well, they Same bump location. into each other. They bump into each other. And she, she's she's very loose lipped in this episode. Yeah, she's, she's well she's well aware of Oscar's situation where he was entertaining Gladys. He took a step back once he thought their fortune was turning. 
now mm-hmm. he wants back in and she's just finding a new way to scheme to kind of you know make her way in the world i think and she sees an opportunity here mm-hmm. and she's going to work with him to get him back in the house to uh you know get some facetime of gladys yeah and that uh oscar is very much the aggressor in that situation where he says meet me at the shakespeare statue in an hour yeah like, okay dude <laughs> like you're bossing her around and we don't and we see, see him meeting, do we no we don't but we see him at the bar with his his uh gentleman friend mm. explaining it now if, if you're the the fellow closeted gay friend mm-hmm. are you like cool man i i totally want to have this discussion <laughs> with you at a bar yeah I, I hope you marry this innocent girl who's going to be loaded with money yeah that's <laughs> totally normal Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much that <laughs> it doesn't really lead to much I mean cool yeah I'm thinking uh, well also kind of a short little button mm-hmm. uh, Peggy's published and everyone's proud of that yes yeah she's in the New York Globe and uh, yeah people are hyped they, they want to see what else she has coming down the pipe uh, and she for- she has a little discussion with with uh, Marion in the beginning, and, and they seem to a, clear the air. I mean, they're not on the best of terms. I, I think she kind of like reminds her, you know, I work, I work for this house and stuff. I think by the end of the episode, they're much more uh, on the same page for the mo- for, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but yeah, they have to work their way back there. Uh, but they're making do- they're making an effort. The olive branch has been extended. Right, Ma- Marion is definitely. I got mad. Right, Marion. You don't know my world trying to explain that yeah she's ignorant <laughs> what, what, what she, she's apologizing for that and peggy's like noted now just don't come around i think on some level too it's not even so much just her societal you know you know that she was insulted that marion would think she's lower it's not just that i think she just doesn't want her stepping into her world because clearly that's a private thing for her that she has some you know issues that she's working through with mr rakes and she just doesn't mm-hmm. want her encroaching into that more than anything um, yeah, and and I think she sees Marion's sort of goodwill naivete, mm-hmm. and and she's trying to not make that a a thing. Yeah, like, look, you want you wanted to sort of wander around the city. You're you are you were broke two weeks ago. Like, right. don't try to pretend that you can floss out and live all these fancy dreams because you have Aunt Agnes's money now. Like, yeah, she doesn't need to carry slow down. As she says, yeah, take a it, be cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she just kind of level sets with Marion there, and that's where they kind of go. It's just like mm-hmm. trying to try and uh, swipe the the slate uh, clean. And I think there's really two big acts going on here, mm-hmm. and I think we've kind of hit all the other other items on the agenda. Yeah, I mean, really, it is a lean forty five minutes. I mean, the one thing we could go back and say about Ada and, and Turner, or, um, Turner and Oscar is that. Theoretically, Oscar will be paying Turner to, to help yes. get getting good. So that, that that's her scheme is to get some money that way. Um, but yeah, the two plots kind of revolve around uh, Gladys, and then uh, also Danville. Yes, Bertha. You know, just mm. doing stuff. Uh, we can just which which route do you want to go, Dave? I think the the Gladys stuff is the kind of the punch of the episode so let's let's get even though it's it's less interesting 
it's the chronological end of the episode, so I think we should talk about all the Dansville stuff first. Okay. Because there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, Bert, let's start unpacking, man. Because we see this Aurora Fane mm-hmm. is continuing to sort of do her due diligence to get Bertha into society, and she wants to throw a little luncheon yeah. that has uh, Mrs. Astor. Or is, is Mrs. Astor coming? Or, or Ward McAllister is coming. Ward McAllister. And they reference, he's friends with Astor. Yeah, Ada and Agnes refer to him as like her lieutenant, like a gatekeeper, uh, mm-hmm. you know, before she can really interact with Astor and any other richer folks in the world there. So Ms. Fane asks Marion to be mm-hmm. the sort of middle person, a, a good conversationalist, you know. I, I don't know. I know you don't watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, but there's a whole episode about seat placement at a dinner party mm-hmm. and who's a good middle which means yeah. they can talk to everybody around the table and get the conversation going. I think Aurora Fane sees Marion as a good middle, a good <laughs> conversation mover and a pleasant person, even though I think Marion has a, has a mouth on her. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're rolling the dice a little bit there. She likes to talk, and she's very gracious and friendly, but she may also say the wrong thing, uh, as we saw last week <laughs> with mm-hmm. the Scots. So, uh, yeah, well, watch out there. Um, but Miss Fane thinks she's going to be a good middle. Yeah, uh, but by that same token, uh, I think was it Marion wants something out of it, right? She she wants Rakes to be invited as well. So it says invite Rakes, invite Tommy boy. Yeah, she wants to help him out. Um, why is she hanging out with Fane in the first place in this episode, Dave? I can't remember. I think because of the Red Cross stuff. Right, right. There, there are sort she of was, any the volunteering for, to help that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and I'm sure this is one of the social events that Agnes and Ada are not uh, averse to. Right. They're okay with it. So, so we see this little luncheon happen. Mm-hmm. And there's and, a, much to do about who is this McAllister fellow. They, they really tee up that it's going to be some prime guest that we're going to be seeing here. I did not expect this. T- Timon? You didn't expect to see Timon? I didn't expect Timon dude from Mouse Hunt to show up. <laughs> yeah. And when they, they say the Broadway big guns, now I know what they meant. Because I know, you know, the producers, Nathan Lane's the man. Yeah, Nathan Lane. I mean, for us growing up, they always, I feel like for like children's programming in the 90s, it was just like, just call on Nathan Lane. He'll cheer the kids up. And he always was. He's, he's always a delight to see Nathan Lane show up in anything. Putting uh, out a southern draw. <laughs> yeah. And this Mr. McAllister fellow, he's an actual person too. He's a real historical figure uh, mm-hmm. that went around and was pretty much playing that role of kind of, you know, gatekeeping uh, high society. And believe it or not, in real life, the mustache and uh, facial hair that he had going on, a lot, a lot more wild than what Nathan Lane is rocking here, actually. There's a lot more hair. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they had to trim it up a little bit, um, which I think is fine. <laughs> it seems within reason. Uh, but, Dave, is Nathan Lane uh, hamming it up here as he does? Oh, he is. He's honey-baked, baby. He's... <laughs> He is, yeah. he is so he's hamming it up to the to the tenth degree. You can hear the words just hanging off his tongue there, the way he just extends that drawl, you know. That. But I I love how the character he plays the character so well, where he already knows who everybody is, mm-hmm. and he's just sort of teeing up who what's important. Like he knows who Marion is, and he's excited to talk to her, mm-hmm. and he's like thrilled to talk to Bertha 
Yeah. And he's he, he's the only person who he doesn't know is Rakes, and he seems very also very in happy with with old Tommy Rakes. Right, and and I think yeah, it makes sense to be excited about Bertha because she's you know got the new money and, and is doing a lot with that. So you know, there's a lot of opportunity there. And but you also I I, I get the sense too a little bit that as as much as he enjoys being there, there's a bit of a sense of like it may be a put on, you know, because mm-hmm. th- they talk like you know this guy can make or break you. So I'm I'm waiting to see like how that may swing around where he comes in you know for the throat, mm-hmm. um, because even Bertha's like talking up to George like oh man this is important this is big this is gonna like change things so yeah she's thrilled and th- is is that yeah. where there's that scene with the two of them talking about this luncheon mm-hmm. and and they talk about their marriage and and it's, he 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 says it's. She says it's everything we ever wanted when we got married, and he goes, "It's everything you ever wanted when we got married." <laughs> yeah, this guy just wants to play with trains and automobiles, you know, or just trains, just tra- his train set. Yes, uh, it, you know, if there was any ever any doubt that it was the women that were the real architects of this gilded age, I think mm-hmm. this relationship kind of proves that. Absolutely, uh, but as Mister McAllister said, he doesn't want facts; he only wants to gossip. Mm-hmm. Only the gossip. Like, I, don't, I don't give a, a hoot about the the trains. I just he's not that sort of man. He, he's a little bit like that, man. <laughs> a little bit like, I just want the facts. Only the gossip. Actually, I don't even know if our Southern accent. Well, he's a little bit sassier because it is Nathan Lane. Yeah, we should stop. <laughs> just trying to, yeah, it's a, there's a little bit more sass that we can't quite capture. And they give him a, a bunch of bugs to eat. And <laughs> That's him not and, true. And Pumbaa eat the bugs. <laughs> he's not Pumbaa, he's Timon. I know, but he, Pumbaa's with him. Oh, yeah, there is a pig. There is a boar, actually, in the room with him. That, that is true. Because uh, he does talk about the chef thing, how, like, oh, you have a French chef, Madame knows, yeah. He's like, yeah. I want to. I know the answers, but I want you to tell me. Yep. And there is a moment towards the end of the scene where they're across each other from the table, and Bertha's like, well, you know, I'd like to be, I'd like to be around you. He's like, oh, I'm pretty sure we can arrange that. Yeah. Like, so he seems pretty in on Bertha, I think. Yeah. We're going to see more of him, I think. Hopefully. It's Nathan Lane. He's awesome. Yeah. And what else was he doing during the pandemic? He wasn't acting on Broadway like the rest of these actors. They all had free time. Imagine Julian Fellows in, just in a room with Nathan Lane. <laughs> <laughs> He'd just be chuckling the whole <laughs> Very like funny, the, Nathan. The two hams sitting between them, just cutting away. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's pretty much it from McAllister. I, I mean... The, yeah, the, I, I was a little disappointed we didn't get more, but I have a feeling that as we really spend more time with Aster, we're going to get more McAllister. Yeah, you, you can only hope. And uh, and I think Julian has to be a little bit, maybe a little bit careful because these are real people. How deeply invested can they really get into the going-ons? Yeah, so maybe uh, maybe Peggy won't marry T. Thomas Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> that would be all. Oh, my gosh. Man, don't spoil that for me. I was hoping <laughs> that was actually going to happen. And we shipped uh, it too early before we knew he was fake. So Marion's not going to get with Mr. McAllister with Nathan Lane. You know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't foresee that happening. Okay, okay, but the the women they have to get going because they have the Red Cross function to attend to in Dansville, two hundred miles away. Yeah, they're going, they're going to spend the night. And who who decides to take on this a new career as a vacation planner, a trip planner? Uh, it's Rakes, isn't it? It's Rakes. He goes, I'll arrange the hotel right now. Don't worry. I got a guy. Yeah. And So the gang is Aurora Fane, mm-hmm. Marion, Bertha Russell, Peggy. Yeah. That's it. Going 200 miles. 
and, and Bertha doesn't seem too entirely phased by having to ride with these folk. You you think she'd like want to separate herself a little bit more? I guess well, I don't know. I guess I mean, she aside from maybe Peggy, I feel like Bertha and Peggy's not in the cart with them at first, right? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think Bertha likes Marion, and I think that she mm-hmm. knows that Fane is kind of under her thumb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, whatever helps get her in, I guess. Yeah. So we go to we we. They show up in Dansville, and who's waiting at the hotel? But old Tom Rakes, he's doing yeah. his thing. And, and they're running late. You know, uh, Peggy is there because she's writing an article. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so so she needs to to come along. And they get there, and they run into a widow, Miss Morris. Yeah, not doing too hot. She's pretty. She's pretty angry. Uh, does not. Yeah. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem to blame her husband. She seems to be looking at directly at Bertha. <laughs> she calls her a murderer. Uh huh. She said you had to bring the murderer. Yep. And she uh, she keeps laying in. This is like a one scene train wreck mm-hmm. that unfolds, where she she straight up tells Fane, yeah, that she says, "Look, this I know how this works. I'm broke. My house is gone. My husband is dead because." Of Bertha Russell, and you—you you people are gonna forget about me. I'm Does, gonna be a nobody. Doesn't she say you, you'll you'll turn on me to stay with a potato picker's daughter? Yep, that's what he calls. That's what she refers to uh, Bertha as, a potato picker's daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, I like that turn of phrase actually. That's a pretty good one. Uh, and and, and they're like, nah. Aurora's like, I don't think so. I think you're, you know, you're still my friend. Yeah, you'll come around to it. And they just kind of leave it at that. She's just huffing and puffing. But as Claire, this is right as Clara Barton is making this little speech in a oh, town yeah. square where it's kind of like, oh, they traveled 200 miles. They're going on overnight for a little bit. Of, it's like going to see your friend's band play an open mic. Man, like they're, they're, they're putting over the Red Cross so much in the show. It almost makes me want to donate today. <laughs> they're really just like, man, we'll this Red blood. Cross is a great deal. <laughs> and it's still going. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's making the case. We won't turn anyone away. And, and so when she gets down off the stage... You know, she talks to Peggy. Uh, oh, Peggy. you missed the big, you missed the big part. What was the big part? When she's on the stage, she goes, "I got something to announce. We're not only opening one. Oh yeah, f- location for the Red Cross. We're opening three. three yeah, thanks to Bertha Russell. <laughs> and all that music money. plays, and r- she comes up, and she's, you know, money hamming it up the to ceiling. the crowd. <laughs> yeah, and then all the fights break out for all the money. Even though she doesn't actually do that, she just, you know being cool and and i believe they say to russell like hey is the press here we want the press to know that we're here yeah yeah right it it doesn't really matter though because it's like what what is money she's just spreading the goodwill right now she's just getting in good don't need necessarily Mm -hmm. the press to to cover it but there is press there yeah and as you were saying clara barton steps off stage Mm -hmm. to go talk to these big money donors and she says, I'm going to give you a tour. And then right. Peggy walks in and says, can I interview you? And then Miss Russell goes, wait, she's coming too? Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? So not only is she a spiteful widow, she's also racist, which is okay to say because Julian you, Oh, Russell plays. didn't say that. Miss Morris said that. Yeah, that's Morris what I, yeah, Miss Morris. Yeah. Um, Julian likes to be make his rich people idealistic, so when he makes them racist, it's a choice. So we can say, well, yeah, she's when he makes racist. them just bitter and, and spiteful, that that's definitely a choice. 
but I mean, she makes a point though. Patty asks, like, will any, anyone of color be turned away? And Claire Scott says, nope. And would you mind coming in with us? It's like, whoa. And that's where you <laughs> see Morris just do this eye roll that yeah, takes up the whole drops. screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we see like you know some guy who got burned somewhere. <laughs> I don't know how he just got some sick burn, and they're they're bandaging him up. Uh, him up, you know. Uh, yeah, and then Bert, Morris Bertha comes out with like, another zinger where she says all this bloodshed she causes, but she can't even look at it in front of her. It's right, because like, Bertha Bertha's just like, ugh, she, she, it's it's a hard it's a harsh sight. It uh, is. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's where the Morris get, gets that zinger in. And that's pretty much the scene just to show us, you know, the kind of work they're doing there at the Red Cross. Go donate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see there's a dinner mm-hmm. with, I believe it is Clara Barton, yep. uh, Bertha, Marion, Aurora, and Aurora Fane, and Miss Morris is not there. Nope, Russell, I mean, Morris is not there. So they've already sort of, she, her f- f- prophecy is coming true. It's self-fulfilling. Yeah. She is being phased out. Yep. Peggy's in her room uh, writing her article. Oh, yeah, no, uh, Peggy's the one who's not there, and they make a point where it's like, well... Yeah, she's writing. <laughs> you know, we can only yeah, do I so mean, much for the colored people here. Well, no, but she is also writing her article, but I also understand, like, elephant in the room. Why isn't she at the table? Well, at least that's a reasonable excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, Russell is retiring early. She, you know, thank her for the generosity again. And, you know, in this episode, Carrie Coon said she was eight months pregnant when they filmed this. What? Yeah, could not tell. Could not tell at all. Could not tell at all. <laughs> Uh, it's those big dresses. They really hike them up, you know. <laughs> they really do. They a lot on both ends. Big. You could hide a lot in there. Uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. there's like a chair in there too, just to sit sure. down anytime. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as soon as she retires, though, at the table, you know, uh, Miss Barton's like, I'm aware that she's using the charity to climb up uh, ballrooms, but I'm glad that she's <laughs> using us, you know, to to be a stepping ladder for that because we'll take the money. Yeah, and I believe it is Aunt Agnes it, later or earlier in the episode basically lays that out. She says that the title of the episode, there's two reasons for charity. Mm-hmm. One is for the good, the act of good, and the other is to climb the social ladder and to use it as a stepping stone or a right. rung of the ladder. Right. I think she's, yeah, you know, she's aware of this. And they pointed this out in the, the Gilded Age podcast, the official one, that, you know, Agnes is a little bit hesitant about. Uh, other people being taken care of, yeah, you know, because I think she kind of also gets that like they're helping out. Yeah, people climb that ladder, and she wants to keep those people away because they have so much more money. It means they kind of have to keep up with those people with more money too, with with their mm-hmm. lifestyle, and that's not that's not fun for her at least. Um, but yeah, Red Cross is profiting at the end of the day. Indeed. But Marion is going to retire to her room, and as she goes there. The rakish one tries to stop her. Tries? He succeeds. Yeah. He uh, he approaches her, uh, and you know he wants to ask for like a, a nightcap of some sort. He wants to have uh, a bit of a good time before going to bed. Mm-hmm. And she she's not that kind of woman. Not quite that kind of woman. No, because he pulls her in for a kiss, and she she's she's okay with it. But then Peggy is right behind her and says. Hello. <laughs> you need to go to sleep, Marion. Oh, I do. And she and then she she lets Marion know I saw the whole thing. I saw all of it. You're Every pregnant. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not pregnant. And she's like, I saw the whole thing. It's like you didn't see what you thought you saw. And then we have this weird conversation where Peggy's like, You ever been in love? And it's like that scene in Anchorman. 
But she's like, no. What is love? I don't know what love is. Yeah, explain like, I was in love when I was 17. Yeah, tell, tell me more about it. Well, his name was Elias Finn. Okay, what else, What did he do for you? He changed my life. In what ways? Well, end scene. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. So Marion is not only socially naive, she is uh, seems to not know. This is very, Bridgerton touches on this too. She's very naive in, in relationships. Mm-hmm. And chaste, if you will. Yeah. But that really is the end of the trip to Dan, Dansville. Uh-huh. And then we have our sort of big main event. But before we do that, we should talk about how, what is her name? Gladys. It now has a new ladies maid. Yes, Aldehyde. Uh, so following on last week that her former uh, one was let go because she was letting her creep around at night. Mm-hmm. And this episode opens with this uh, downstairs worker, Aldehyde, helping uh, Gladys sneak around. And you know you're just waiting to hear Carrie Coon's booming voice. And sure enough, Gladys is caught. She can't leave the house. Yeah. she got to go back upstairs and take her hat off. Mm-hmm. But Aldehyde downstairs is pleading her case that, you know, she's been following Turner around, taking notes after her. I don't know about every note, because if you did, you'd be making some indecent proposals. But you've been taking enough notes to know that she could probably be a helper to uh, to Gladys, you know, to, to mm-hmm. the to and she's, an she's talking to Miss Bruce, right? Yeah, she she wants to you know get this opportunity, and Miss Bruce takes note, and so she approaches Russell about this, and Russell's like, "Yeah, on one condition, as long as uh, you report back to me what she sees about Gladys, because I want to control every aspect of my daughter's life. She will not get one over on me." And and George George is like, "What is the deal with this? Can you, you why can't she live?" And and Bertha's like, "Until she has everything that I want her to have, mm-hmm. she cannot." And I mean, I kind of get it because she's trying to be protective of the spot that she worked so hard to get. She doesn't want to mm-hmm. let her children, you know, mess it all up. You know, we see this on Succession or the Wretched Gemstones. The children are always the problem, so got to control them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's not good. Agree. I don't. I don't endorse it. You shouldn't. <laughs> but I get where the why the rich folk are doing that. Yeah, and and that's pretty much that until we see that George softens Bertha to the point that they invite. Archie Baldwin over for mm-hmm. dinner. Yeah. She appeals to her to, to have him come over, and she's like, let me go invite him. And Bertha's like, we'll write him a letter, <laughs> okay? We're controlling this communication here. Mm-hmm. And this is the first and time that we see the dude. He seems like an okay guy. <laughs> yeah, he's standard, white bread, forgettable face, just a nice enough guy. And apparently and, he's well off, too, so he he's not wouldn't be a bad suitor. No, no. Uh, I think yeah, his dad has a, a pretty good, well-paying job. So yeah, he, he's doing okay. Uh, and they seem to like him too at the dinner. Everyone's impressed. And George invites him to have a drink with him afterwards. And uh, Larry is sitting there, like, "Can I have a, a, a you know sip of the port too?" And they're like, "No, no, get out of here. This is a yeah." A man Bertha man. knows what's going on. Yep. And George lets him know what's up. He sets the deal for. Uh, what you know they're gonna get themselves into. So so deal or no deal here, Dave. Uh, he tells Archie that he has connections that he can you know that he understands that he's an investor, a financial uh worker, and he can set him up with a really well paying job, really you know really take care of himself, do really well on one condition. 
he never speaks to his daughter again. If he speaks to his daughter again, speaks to Gladys, he will ruin his his entire career <laughs> and we'll never see him again. Uh, and Archie's like, isn't, isn't that blackmail? And George is like, well, <laughs> yep. Dave, do you take the deal? I mean, there's no other way. <laughs> yeah, I either get wiped off the map or end up with a lot of money and do really well for yourself. I'd say there's a lot of other fish out there in the sea. I mean, Gladys, you're nice and all. Uh, not worth saying, ruining my life over, I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I I I don't I don't like George doing this, and I feel like George doesn't no. believe in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Right, because even then, afterwards, he, he's like talking to Bertha, like, "Do we really have to be this way? Do we really have to do this?" I liked him actually, but I mean, she—that's where she makes it clear to him. No, I'm not going to risk it. You know. Mm-hmm. So George is. Yeah, I don't think he's uh, playing as hardball as has his wife. But and I wonder how much harder, you know, much more harder they'll fight to like, secure their position in, in later, uh, you know, episodes. But a little bit of a different shade here to you know how cutthroat yeah, they cons- are. Considering how much time they spend saying that George and and uh, Bertha are like this sort of alpha power couple, mm-hmm. we see that it's not all perfect. Right. And on some level, I feel like you could rationalize what George did in episode three with, you know, the business where he ruined the, the two men's lives as just business. This mm-hmm. is a little bit, feels more personal, a little bit. It doesn't feel Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Uh, so that's where we are with Gladys. And who knows, you know, maybe Oscar's going to work his way back up to her next week. Yeah. But before the episode ends, there's mm-hmm. a telegram. Right. This is very fellow's move. Yeah, yeah. We gotta go. We gotta go. Right. It arrives at was it is it Mr. Banks who gets the notice? I didn't even take note. I was I was caught up in the episode. I didn't one of the servants. Yeah. So he he's gotta go report the news to George. It's it's immediate. He needs to know about it. And what we hear at the end of the episode is that as was hinted at, a train has derailed. Three people are dead, or two people are dead, more are injured. Three men are dead. Yes. They yes. Men, women, or children. Men. Yep. That's fine. <laughs> Is that fine? I, I don't know. That doesn't sound too good. Well, I mean, it is what it is, and that's how the episode ends. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, at least last week they were prepping for this by investing in charities like the Red Cross, and so they have that generous donation, so maybe they'll come back around next week where, like, hey, can we get some of that press for that generous donation that we made there? Or can um, we use your resources to... to heal these people provide mm-hmm. aid yeah so yeah we'll see how grim things are uh for the the russells there with that the derailment and uh mm-hmm. yeah short episode real breezy yeah a lot of time spent on a couple plots which i liked yeah yeah uh but yeah it was, a, it was an okay episode not one of the most seismic uh, game shifting ones but good enough Enough movement while also setting the table for the future. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Clay is George's uh, right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Good episode. Can't wait to see what happens next week. Let's, let's keep Obviously. Moving. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, get you, to the how, power rankings. Yeah, so let's get to those power rankings. Who do you got going down, Corey? Number three, I got Miss Morris. Uh, she is uh, a bitter pill to swallow. You know, she is not the fun one to have around at the party anymore. She lost her husband, and now she's just spiteful. And she will let you know it. So, mm-hmm. not good for her. That's fair. At number three, I got Armstrong. 
because I got, I got Armstrong at number two. It's a rough go. <laughs> yeah, you know we're learning more about these people, and and we see she has to suffer in silence, which I think might be the biggest mm. problem here. Yeah, they really rub it Not in because when she it, comes back and Miss uh, Bauer asks her, "Oh, how's the pie? Oh, it was great." No it's like you it. must have such a wonderful time off. And no, not really. It's actually pretty terrible. So rough, so rough. And I can't wait for the reveal that Watson has it just as rough in his off time. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to find out all of these people downstairs are are emotionally Suffering. damaged. Yeah, right. <laughs> Straight up, the, uh, the chef. No, no one has it great. Uh, who's number two for you, Dave? My number two is George. Okay. Because the train accident is huge, big deal. But also, as we were saying with this thing with with Archie Baldwin, mm-hmm. he's starting to realize, you know, he's starting to come into to terms with the fact that t- doing all of these things for Bertha isn't always going to be good. And he definitely feels feel uneasy about George in this episode. Like, I don't think he sure. wins. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's a little too soon to see how it goes with that derailment. We'll see next week. But yeah. 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 Number one going down. I got Gladys. She she's not winning in any which way. Her life is controlled. She's not going to end up with this Archie guy. Uh, it just really sucks to be her right now. Yeah, yeah. I I have her as well. So okay, not a good, bad week. She she can't get out of the house. Yeah, Archie. She gets shot down by her mom. She at least she gets her the maid of choice, but that's or the lady's maid of choice. But that even that is like a consolation prize for your mom steamrolling you. And I'm not entirely convinced that everything's going to work out with that lady maid. Because Turner was, like, casting a side eye out of hide. Like, she's not too keen that someone else is rising up to her ranks in terms of work. Especially someone who seems, like, young and, and who kind of just got in there, maybe. It's not like yeah. she, she she wants that. So she, Tur- I could Turner see her, is a little bit of a Tom Barrow. Yeah, I could see now. her disrupting that whole, that whole flow there. Mm-hmm. I think we initially pinned her as more of a uh, Edna Braithwaite. Mm-hmm. Because of the uh, you know relationship aspect between her and George, but I do feel like if she's going to be around, she's going to be a lot more of a Tom Barrow like big heavy downstairs bad guy. I could I could see her weighing heavy on um on out of hide to try and influence uh to you know use something against her to influence her to then convince Gladys to entertain Oscar something mm-hmm. along that that chain of events there. I could see. Well, yeah. Well, who do you got going up, Corey? I got Peggy. She got an article okay. published in the paper. Uh, and, you know, she let Mary know what's up. They're on good terms now. And she got a great article in an interview with uh, with Claire Barton. So good for her. Okay. Well, going up number three, I got Bertha. Okay. Because I don't like how she goes about dismissing Archie Baldwin. But she does it. She wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gets an ear on what her daughter's up to by tapping the, the help and she sort of has another episode where she just flexes big and, and continues to rise up the social ladder and does very well around Ward McAllister, which is a big deal. Okay. Well, at number two, I got Mr. Rakes. This guy... Same. Gets in, so do I. He just gets invited to the party. And he's uh, he get, he you know he impresses McAllister. He gets a smooch in on, uh, on Marion. Big deal. Uh, he's just impressing folk. And he doesn't have to do that much. He just is himself. Just be yourself. Yeah. I'm not saying he's growing on me, but I feel like him yeah. and, and Marion are both these sort of Barbie and Ken kind of. They're very plain. Sure. And this is just, okay, more. He's he's getting a little more developed. Yeah. Well, and number one for me, I got Bertha. Because, again, it's a huge win to get one with McAllister. This guy is 
teased to be as you know very important uh, to to everything going on in the world that they're in. So to you know win one with him, win another with uh, Clara Barton with her donation, mm-hmm. uh, and then to completely control Gladys. I don't know who you could actually have above her, Dave. I got Clara Barton above her. She's a real historical figure. I mean, she's gotten money coming she's in. Been ever in two since or then. three episodes. She she hasn't stopped winning since 1882, man. <laughs> exactly. All okay. she does is win. That is Clara Barton. Absolutely. Red Cross, man. Doing work. Always. Uh, it feels unfair to award it to a real historical figure. I, I don't know. Says the guy who gave the Nation of England points in the Downton Abbey era. That's different. That is different. They, they That's several that. real people. Okay. Okay. I can't believe you had rakes over Bertha. Really? I don't I don't. He like didn't what, do anything. Like... He just got invited and showed up. Bertha actually had to put in no, work. He planned the hotel stay. He, he booked oh, the rooms. come on. And he was running late. He was running them behind. That's why they, they showed up after Bert, Barton was already giving some of her speech there. Doesn't matter if you show up late if you make that big speech. Sure. Okay. All right, man. All right. You know, I don't think you're giving enough credit to Bertha this week. I don't. I don't like what she did. What did to she do? Archie. She she to controlled Archie. her daughter. That's that's power. This is a power ranking. <laughs> okay. That's not the kind of. That's not good power. Rakes couldn't even convince Marion to go to bed. Man, come on. Okay. All right. Just leave it at that. Did what he did. That that's this week on the Kill the Hedge, and we'll pick up next week. Dave, have you been watching anything else? No, not really. It's been a. Uh, I feel like been, I'm catching up on stuff. You've been still. recording an album, right? Yeah, I was in the re- recording studio for Wednesday and Thursday all night. So mm-hmm. I was uh, with your band. Doing not, that. You're not the singer. You're just the bassist. I'm the bass player. My uh, the singer, uh, snowbirds in Florida to make money playing beach bars, and then comes up to the great north mm-hmm. when it's not snowy and gross. So he was home for his mom's birthday and said, "Let's get in the studio." We laid down three. Three new songs, three new recordings. So, okay, I'm excited. That's that's why I didn't get to consume much. What about right. you, Corey? Anything new in the? Uh, well, on uh, Sunday it was re- uh, Presidents' Day weekend over here in America, and I just uh, hung around on Sunday. I was going to go back to New York, but then start watching Love Is Blind with my mom. I hadn't watched the first oh, season on Netflix, and six episodes later it was just like oh my gosh the time just flew by the show is addictive garbage it was true trash it is it's it's because i you know we're both big advocates of the circle here yeah and i think a lot of people say the circle is addictive garbage and i don't disagree but i think there's a certain um this is like next level trash uh, oh yeah yeah they find people who are on the fringes of just like lunacy <laughs> because these people are just like I want to get married to someone I never met like who are these people and then they're talking about like they're really in love with people they haven't talked to. it's just crazy talk uh, and then the, the seeing them go through each stage is just like these are all horrible people in a lot of ways some of them are actual genuine sweethearts and I feel bad for the situations they're in I, I'm just like why aren't these people just hitting eject at any time in the show it is crazy the show is wild uh I watched season one, but I did not watch season. I have not watched any season two, and I don't I, intend on watching season two. Well, I heard there was like successful relationships in season one. I don't see yes. a single one here succeeding. They are all just not right for each other. It is there. There is a couple that every time they're on screen, I literally get anxiety because of the way they interact with each other. They are just not meant to be. Highly recommend it. You recommend it? Yeah, it's it's you can't turn away. It is watching a, a car crash, and I don't even say in slow motion and fast motion. This is just going at full tilt. Wow. Uh, yeah, I feel like season one was was a lot, but it didn't it wasn't that jarring to me. Okay, 
Well, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen season one, so I can't speak to it. But for me, this it's a, it's a baffling concept. And it I don't... truly is. And for people who don't know, it's literally people meet someone else and they talk for 10 days without seeing the other person. And then they decide if they want to get married. And then they go through the whole process within a month of going all the way to a wedding. It is mm-hmm. crazy. I, w- I wish uh, Julian Fellows was uh, scripting it. I don't think he actually could script it any better. It's just crazy. Anyways. Well, that's that. That's that. <laughs> you know where to find us. <laughs> uh, you know where. Lordsgrantham at gmail.com if you want to email us. You can hit us up on Twitter. We'll get back to you on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we got the whole archive on the Lords of Grantham Podbean website. We even got merch from old stuff that you know we need to get some new ones of. Yep, we're talking to some designers, so we are. We're in the process. Moves are being made. But aside from that, we also have a Patreon too, where we have some bonus episodes that we need to record soon. Yeah. And yeah, otherwise you can find us here talking about the Guild Age next week. Indeed, on the back see half. You. Yeah. See you then. Yeah.